Thank you for joining our podcast here at Peninsula Covenant Church. Stay tuned as together we'll study God's Word. In his most famous sermon ever given, Jesus climbed a hillside. We know it as the Sermon on the Mount. And he said this to his original hearers. I think it's more relevant to us today. And can you multitask? Can you raise your candles as you listen to this? Jesus said, you are the light of the world, a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Look around, church. This is what we're called to be in our community, in our interactions, in the workplace, in our neighborhoods. You are the light of the world. Let me pray. Father, thank you so much for the symbolism that has passed through the centuries of light. Thank you for coming into the darkness, not to point a finger, not to judge, but to rescue. Lord, may your light in us spread life and light to our world, our neighborhood, our family line, our workplaces. May we be your hands and feet, for we pray it in Christ's name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Hey, would you do me a favor and blow out those candles, please? Hey, I want to just quickly give a quick uh, announcement if you call PCC home. If you don't listen in, this is encouraging, but Christmas came a little early for PCC. Uh, You saw the video on the G4 Giving Challenge. We call it G4 because that's the pathway we believe to become most Christ-like. You gather, you grow, you give, you go. And you saw what we're trying to do from that video. We're trying to accelerate the good news and inspire generosity. And that video showed that, how we're meeting people on the streets. This week, we were given a matching grant of $250,000 towards our gift, our year-end goal of $1.5 million. And where we were when we went to publication, you can see it back there, was uh, at $700-something thousand dollars. We're now at $925,000 towards our goal of $1.5 million. Can we thank God for that? Awesome. Uh, The first 10% of that goes off the campus. A lot more goes off the campus, actually, as we accelerate the gospel around the world, locally and around the world, inspire generosity. We need it. So thank you for those of you who are giving and prayerfully those who will give before the year end. So Merry Christmas, everybody. We all share traditions at Christmas. Uh, and one tradition we all have in common is gift giving, right? And uh, I don't know what was the gift for you growing up. I'm curious about that, but we don't have time to hear from you. Uh, but there's always one gift every year that seems to be the gift that everyone has to get. I was thinking about my own life, and when I was a freshman in high school, this was the gift that swept the nation that every kid had to have, including me. Now, I don't know if you're laughing because I'm that old, but this is what created Pong for all you little kids out there. And Mark Monty, my best friend, got a Pong, but an Atari system, I didn't get one. Uh, I'm still bitter about that, but (laughs) thanks to therapy, I'm getting better. Um, And my daughters, my oldest daughters uh, growing up years, this was the gift uh, for them. 
Um, there was actually stampedes and people, there was a story about Walmart, about a checker who got stampeded because of the Tickle Me Elmo. We were in Chicago then when that came out. Uh, then I'm this old, I've got five daughters, so um, our younger daughters, this was the gift that they had to have. They didn't get it, but this is what they wanted, the Nintendo uh, Wii system, right? I don't know what it is today, but here's my premise and the question I want to offer you in the minutes we have together. What if the greatest Christmas present given isn't under the tree? It's not a present at all. What if the greatest Christmas present is the presence of Jesus? I want you to think about that. We're going to come around it multiple ways. I've got five daughters. Uh, three are out of the house. Two are off payroll, as we say. Um, and uh, I know I was the youngest in my family of origin. So our youngest daughter is really missing her. They're called yayas. That's her native language in Africa, her yayas. And um, we played a surprise on her a year ago where we took her shopping for a swimsuit. She went into a dressing room, and she didn't know this, but we flew in one of our daughters from Kentucky. And so she was coming out showing the clothes, and then when she came, well, when she came out of the dressing room, this happened. Look at this. It's just your ya-ya. I don't know what was on JoJo's list that year, but she would tell you the greatest Christmas gift that year was the presence of her sister that showed up unannounced and unexpected. Some of you know that all that well because this Christmas, someone's not at the table or in the house or will be around the tree. Uh, that daughter of mine, for the first time in our family history, can't come home from Kentucky this year. She's actually watching right now, and um, man, we miss her. It's hard. I'd give anything to have all my five girls together. Any gift wouldn't matter. The greatest gift would be her showing up unannounced and surprising me. You feel that? Some of you are missing people. There's all those people we can point to and miss. And for the next few minutes, let's consider that the greatest Christmas present ever given was the presence of Jesus on Christmas. Now, to do this, I want to step into uh, the Christian scriptures. There's four biographies on the life of Christ, um, and all of them, in one way or another, talk about what happened with the birth of Christ, except one. And the one I want to look at is a biography by an author named John. He followed Jesus all around. He didn't talk about what happened. His Christmas narrative was different. It was why it happened. He talked about why Christ came into the world, and he opens his biography this way. It's on the screen. He says this, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Uh, some context will help here. John wrote to a first century Greek audience. Uh, so this wasn't written in English, it was written in Greek. And the word for word there is logos. Logos in the Greek language, when John wrote it, was the expression or the thought of a person or a thing or a being. Actually, to the Greek, the Logos was the ultimate, infinite expression of the gods. The gods. Uh, am I the only husband who gets accused of living inside his head? Am I, am I, I guess I am, okay? And so sometimes my wife says, what are you thinking, right? And I'm like, oh, I'll tell you what I'm thinking. When I give voice to that, that is my Logos. It's, uh, it's unpacking what's in my head and expressing it. 
So John, in essence, is saying uh, he's going to give a name for God's thoughts. God's thoughts came to earth fully captured in a person, this logos. That person was Jesus. And John's making a case here that everything God thinks about human flourishing, everything God thinks about how to do humanity was captured and contained in one person, a perfect human being named Jesus. He goes on to say that. In verse 14, he says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. I love the paraphrase I put at the bottom. That's someone who took the original language and put it in our language, more contemporary. The word became flesh and blood, I love this, and moved into the neighborhood. I didn't have in my notes cry when you talk about your daughter not coming home for uh, Christmas, but those tears are raw and real. And I want to say to you, I didn't say this in the first service, that's the heart of God wanting you and his family. It's a, it's a, I'm just a little small metaphor as a dad. It's a small expression of God's heart for us, wanting to gather us to be part of his family. So God became flesh when we ran away from him and he did the unthinkable. He ran after us in the person of Jesus Christ. That's the case John is building here in his gospel. Now think with me, what makes a gift valuable? There's probably a lot of answers to that. This is rhetorical, but think about that. What makes a gift valuable? There's a lot of answers, but I want to just give one. The thought put into it. I was a terrible gift giver till I got married. My wife actually let me know that. And then, because uh, she's a fantastic gift giver. She puts a lot of thought into gifts. And the most valuable gift given to me in our 30 years of marriage, she gave me three years ago. The summer prior, I was granted a leave, a study leave, and I went to Assisi and studied the life of Francis. And I had a profound experience while there in Assisi uh, with God. It was amazing. And, and my wife heard about it. She saw it. And uh, she started looking for something that would mark that experience for me. And so as we were traveling in Monterey, she went into this antique store and found something. And she came out. She was so giddy. She said, do not look in the back of the car. And what she got me was this a statue. She paid 40 bucks for it, an old, broken-down statue on Francis. That statue sits in my patio outside my office. And when I'm going through the day, I look at that statue, and it brings me back to this holy moment and experience I had in Assisi. It wasn't the price that she paid for it that mattered. It, was, it wasn't that she bought something for me. It was more than that. She thought of something for me. You ready for this? She sought something for me. And she didn't stop till she found it. I want you to hear this. When John says in the beginning was the word and opens his biography of Christ, what he's telling us is this. Jesus coming to earth for you and for me was not a celestial afterthought on God's part. He's been thinking about you and what you needed most in me and what I needed most from eternity past. In the first book of the Bible, the Hebrew scriptures actually, it's Genesis, and we see God creating and creating a community as it should be, community without sin or brokenness, and God keeps repeating, this is good, this is good, this is good. 
And then the first human beings rebel against God and transgress his boundaries and sin enters the world. And what we see in the third chapter of the first book of the Bible is God's first promise, I will send a rescue for that. Way back in the first book of the Bible, God starts saying, I promise you someone's coming. And throughout the Old Testament, more than 300 times, we call those prophecies, in more than 450 verses, God says, I promise you someone's coming. I promise you someone's coming. And gave distinct aspects of who that someone will be. And then on the first Christmas night, the shepherds are out in their field and angels appear and the tense of the someone's coming changes. It's not someone is coming. The angels say, you ready? Someone's come. Look what it says in Luke chapter 10, another biographer of Jesus. I bring you good news that will bring great joy. I love this part. It's for all people. In other words, this news is not just for the moral people. This news is not just for the religious people. This news is not just for the Christian people, because when this was announced, there were no Christian people. This news is not just for the Jewish people, the Muslim people. This news is for all people. Now, literally, the Greek language there is all ethnicities, the whole world. The Savior, the Rescuer, yes, Messiah, the Lord, he's been born today in Bethlehem. See, my friends, Christmas, God's presence was not a celestial afterthought. It wasn't this last-minute impulsive idea. From eternity back, God has been thinking about the perfect gift for you and me. And what makes a gift great is a thought put into it. So John would say in his first uh, biography, in the first chapter, he would say this, yet to all who, re who received Christ... To those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become, what? Children of God. It's God's design in giving the gift, that you receive it. What does receive mean? Uh, it means not a reluctant acceptance. Uh, literally, again, different language. It means the delight in full embrace. Like my daughter Jojo receiving her yaya, Mary Courtney, when she jumped out of the dressing room. I did some research. Do you know that when you give a gift card for Christmas, and I don't want to ask who does this, I, it's actually fine. I've given out tons of gift cards. But a billion dollars a year are wasted on gift cards that never get spent. A billion a year. Now, if you don't plan on spending your gift card, Gary G at We Are PCC, I will gladly receive and dispense and spread generosity with your gift cards. What good is a gift if it's not received and utilized? What good is the light of the world, Jesus Christ coming into the world, if he's not received and embraced and internalized by you? Yet some gifts are really hard to receive. Tim Keller, who's an author and theologian, he writes in his book, Hidden Christmas, he says, some gifts by their very nature make you swallow your pride. Imagine opening a present on Christmas morning from a friend, and it's a dieting book, dieting. Then you take off another ribbon, and your spouse gives you another book, Overcoming Selfishness. 
you turn and say, thank you very much, community. In a sense, what you're doing, Keller writes, is you're admitting, for indeed I am a fat, obnoxious narcissist. Thank you very much. Receiving Christ is hard because you're embracing the good news that our Heavenly Father wants you in His family and would stop at no end, not even giving of His own Son to come to rescue you. But you're also acknowledging the bad news. You can't rescue yourself. That you don't have it within yourself to make you the person, what we say around here, the best version of yourself. You can't have the relationships with roommates, with vendors or merchants or communities uh, that you were intended to have. If you doubt that, just read your homepage with all the advancements for which we're all grateful for that's going on in our world. Why is it we're more divided and hateful than ever before? Because we don't have it in ourselves to save ourselves. So yes, the savior of the world has been given for every human being, every human being qualifies. But you have to humble yourself and acknowledge the bad news. I don't have it in myself to make myself who God wants me to be. Those of us who call PCC home, we've, we've embraced that and we try to live humbly and, and don't get it right all the time and I wanna put that out there, but we're endeavoring to bring this message all around the world to all peoples. And as we close this time and as I close in prayer, I want to invite you, if you call PCC home, I want to ask you and humbly ask you, are you living this Christmas like the greatest gift of all is not a present, but the presence of Jesus? If you call PCC home, I want to ask, are you making much of the presence of Jesus through your year and through your month and through this season? If you don't call PCC home and you're a guest here, and I'm so glad you're here. For all of us, I wanna close this service like we're closing every service in December, my portion of the service, and give you the opportunity to receive this gift. Because what good is a gift if it's not received and embraced? Let's close in prayer. I'm gonna invite you to bow your heads and just to put out the clutter, put out the distraction. And I want you to hear me with eyes closed because I want you to concentrate on my words. God loves you. If you leave with nothing else, please leave understanding that. It doesn't matter what you've done, how dark your life is. God loves you so much that he sent his son, Jesus, born of a virgin. Jesus, perfect in every way. The thought of God was expressed, the logos, through Jesus Christ. And he lived the perfect life that we could never live, even to the point of dying on a cross. If you think our world isn't, I'll just say it, screwed up, the most human human being stepped on the planet and what did humanity do to him? We killed him because his light shined so brightly, we couldn't take it. But even that didn't stop the plan of God, my friends. Because three days later, that dead body rose again from the grave. You know why? For you, for me. And so I want to ask humbly, but unashamedly, have you received that gift that God is offering to you? Have you embraced Jesus Christ? As we close, I'm going to pray. I'm going to give you that opportunity to embrace Christ. And 
open your life and say, yeah, Jesus, I, I am messed up. I don't say that to be cool. It's just a reality. And I don't have it in myself. I need you. Step into my life. Illuminate me and make me the person you had in mind when you created me. I want to know who I'm praying with. And if you've never prayed that prayer and you want to open your life to Jesus Christ, I want to invite you to raise your hand. I'm going to pray with you. I'm not going to call you out. I'm not going to embarrass you, but I want to know who you are. Just raise your hand. I I want to open my life to Christ. Just raise your hand. Awesome. Open my life to Christ. We're family and family prays together. So you can make my words your words. Heavenly Father, thanks for this indescribable gift of new life. Jesus, you love me. Thank you for forgiveness. Step into my life. Make me new. I've made a mess of my life. Take these pieces and build something beautiful from them. I want to be the person you had in mind when you created me in the first place. Thank you for new life. Now I'm giving you mine. Illuminate me through your Holy Spirit. For I pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to our message podcast here at Peninsula Covenant Church. We would love the opportunity to connect with you more. We are located in Redwood City, California, and you can find us online at wearepcc.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter by simply searching for We Are PCC.